Spoke Media. Hey, welcome back hey. to part two of episode one. Here we are. This is side A. You flipped over the cassette tape. This is side B. So last episode, we talked with Robert McKee. Human beings are capable of anything. Anything you can imagine them doing or happening to them has already been done and done in ways you can't imagine. And none of it is melodrama. It's just human. And we looked at my story through the lens of the inciting incident. Where do we start? Where was the stasis broken? Well, the question that the, the event raises, why am I so upset about the death of a man I didn't even know? And we learned from Robert that your inciting incident was your dad's death because that is what broke your stasis. You went from, oh, I am fine. It doesn't matter that I didn't have a dad to, oh, shit, this matters and has mattered this whole time. So, Janielle, how did you decide you wanted to activate this? I decided I was going to talk to my mother. (laughs) Talk to my mother. Insanity. A crazy idea. Actually talk to my mom. And what were your goals in talking to your mom? So my goals were to kind of try to do something with the two things that were ringing in my ears the loudest. Um, One, oh, you swallowed back obvious questions. You rationalized your life in such a way that you didn't ask obvious questions your whole childhood. And the second was that to pretend is a lie. So now that the stasis is broken entirely, I wanted to talk to my mom and see, okay, can I ask the obvious questions? Can I really look at the pain and let it in? What are some of these obvious questions? Um, I just don't know what happened. Um, why did we never talk about this? Why did she tell me that it wasn't my story to tell? Talking with Robert, he said, you might discover that you just didn't really know your mom. There's a lot she hasn't told me, and there's a lot that I just have never asked. All right, let's get into it. Welcome back to Untitled Dad Project, my meta-narrative quest to finally figure out my own story. This is Chapter 1, Part B, Inciting Incident. So we were flying home from Thanksgiving. That's what it was. We were flying home from Thanksgiving. My mom asked me how my projects are going, and I start telling her about Untitled Dad Project. And my mom's just, like, wildly supportive of my work, even, like, if there's swears that she's not a fan of. And so she asks me about how things are going, and I start telling her about how I have some new questions about my childhood. And she says, oh, well, we can pull out your baby books and go through them. And I carpe diemed, protagonist, leading lady, and said, yes, let's do it. And so we get home. And uh, she pulls out the books. We sit down in a love seat. And I just pull out my iPhone. And I squished in really close to her on the love seat in this tiny little chair and um, started recording a voice memo on my phone. My mom totally agreed to do an interview and let me record her. Um, she did not agree, however, to 
not snack on the organic grapes she had just washed. That's where she drew the line. That was in her writer. <laughs> so she, you'll hear her like smacking on grapes. I think I do too at some point. I'm really sorry, Kat. To set the scene, we're sitting there in the living room on the love seat. And you'll hear like a chirp periodically. And that's the sound of the smoke detector whose batteries were running out and had been for months. And my mom's going to will ask me to change those batteries after this interview before I go home. And we pull out the books and we open to the first page. And there are photos of me um, really little. Like first grade uh, at a performance that apparently my dad went to the dress rehearsal of and I had no idea. Perfect. Okay, so this is this is picture of you. And at dress rehearsal, your dad couldn't come to the performance, but he came to the dress rehearsal. And while you were on stage, you left, they were filing off stage. You turned around and came back to stage and you looked at everyone and you start blowing them kisses. Kurtz <laughs> <laughs> and bowing and blowing them kisses. And so I knew right there and then the theater was um, in your destiny. I would never do that now. <laughs> I would never break my choreography. <laughs> so why did my dad go to dress rehearsal? I don't know. He couldn't make it to the regular one. So you invited him? Mm-hmm. Well, how often would he come to stuff? Well... Maybe once every few weeks when I went and invite him to stuff. So how would that... Okay, stop eating grapes. <laughs> I can't hear you if you're eating grapes. Um, what is... So how did that work, though? So you would just, like, call him and tell him that I had stuff going uh-huh. on? Yes. And then he would show up sometimes and he wouldn't other times? He normally would show up if I invited him to stuff. Yeah? But I always had to be the proactive one. I would invite him to things like... Your play, you're playing, um, where you were, the little yellow, I think that was in first grade. I vividly remember that yellow shirt she's talking about. It had little white daisies around the neck, and the play was Peter Rabbit. I loved that shirt, and I know my dad attended that performance because I've seen a photo of him and me afterwards. I don't remember all these other instances of recitals that he came or didn't come to. I think maybe I was just too young. But this is sort of the extent of the conversation whenever I've asked about my childhood in the past. When I brought up my dad, we get this far. Oh, I invited him to things sometimes and he would come sometimes or not. What I'm missing is the answer to a question behind all that, which is when did he decide to stop being a dad and start being a guy who could come to recitals sometimes if invited? Yeah, there's some organizing principle behind there that I've never had an answer to. And to be fair, I've never directly asked. I'm not even directly asking here. We keep talking. We turn the page, and I find a little Mother's Day card. Happy first Mother's Day. Carol, you're a great mom. I'm proud of you. Love, Brett. What's the deal with Brett? Do you remember? Brett was like my boyfriend. We broke up. I dated your dad. And then when I got pregnant, your dad disappeared. Both, actually both of them did. And then near the end, he said, Brett says, you don't have anyone. I want to be your, I want to be there for you. So Brett was actually there for me. And so the first, probably the first year of your life, he got very attached to you. But then um, I could tell he didn't love me, but he really cared for you. But he was wonderful to me the first, um, first year and a half. I mean, he was my labor and delivery coach. He was your labor and delivery coach? Uh-huh. So he was in the room with you when he, you gave birth to me? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. So he just thought he was my dad. Mm-hmm. He acted like he was your dad. He was your dad. He was, 
he just like he started becoming like thinking he just kind of assumed that role but then it was really it was kind of hard and oh, horrible I got very 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 close to him and of then, course you did he stepped in as your partner I know yeah, yeah. and he was there for you when you gave birth to me and you mm-hmm. wow yeah how could someone do that I don't know he he was just I just think God I needed someone at that time but um, people at church were concerned about him. He was, he's very controlling and really manipulative. But I think there was such a good side to him. He was good with babies and dogs. It yeah. just, I just, just wasn't very good being treated like a dog or a baby. So, yeah. But, yeah, so it was kind of weird. It been horrible. It was really, really hard. It was devastating for me. I was so broken because he was there for me, and so I fell, fell back in love with him, and he was such a good dad. And, and mm. it was really, and it was kind of like who my, I didn't, date for years because I'm like who am I going to trust kind of like what you're going through and so yeah it was it was very very heartrending I wouldn't let anyone in a wall yeah so anyway but you know what you don't have to give me a but you know what we can just say that was hard it was very hard it was really hard this is something really important I'm realizing about my mom character about my mom is that But you know what? That comes at the end of every sad sentence. That takes the pain and does something with it, turns it into something beautiful, so that the pain doesn't just have to be painful. It has some sort of bright side to it. I really appreciate how in this moment she lets me sit in it with her. She lets it be sad. It feels like a good sign. Although she does try again um, right here. It was really hard. But go ahead. (laughs) So, yeah. That might be a little hard to hear. That's my mom going, but God and me putting my hand on her shoulder, like, it's okay, mom. We can just, like, be sad. And her saying, so, yeah. God comes up a lot in this interview with my mom. We talked last episode about how this fundamental defining part of my mom's really strong relationship to her faith and to her church was forged, really defined by when she found out she was pregnant with me. But for my purposes, for my story's purposes, I'm mostly interested in how God or this, but God functions in the same way as, but you know, that gives some sort of hope or or positivity or purpose to whatever sad, painful thing came before it. It's a really relieving concept that comes up everywhere, not just in Christian or religious stories. This idea that everything works together for a purpose, that pain and suffering has a reason, that the universe or something greater is working such that everything that happens to you happens for some kind of reason. There's no pain that doesn't have some kind of payoff later. And I really love that concept of some ultimate good. I'm, I'm so attracted to it. I always have been. But I think the mandate for me right now, like the lesson I need to learn right now is, can you let the pain in and just let it be pain? Not try to turn it into something else. Not try to point it towards some ultimate good. Can you not relieve it or assign it a sense of purpose? Can you just let it be? Back to my mom, 
We talk more about how she and Brett broke up. Allegedly, this is just my mom's side of the story. I didn't ask Brett for a comment. I'm not a journalist. My medium is fictional words and tropes, just a big old allegedly. But allegedly, Brett left her because he fell in love with a secretary, which is a kind of obvious trope to pick for yourself, but whatever, Brett. His new girlfriend wasn't into him playing dad to someone else's kid. He asked if he could still see me on the weekends, but my mom thought that was kind of weird and has this great little one-liner. My daughter is not the book of the month club. You can't check my daughter out. And then he, too, exits the picture. Bye, pseudo-dad. Oh, and it was really hard on you in the beginning because I remember one time we lived in Valley Ranch and we went to get gas, and you go, Mommy, why isn't Brett right here? Mommy, I want to see Brett. Call Brett. Mommy, call him. <laughs> and you were brokenhearted, and I was too. <laughs> but there's nothing I could do about it. That must have been so hard. It was really hard. I don't remember him at all. Thank God. He, Not even a little bit. I thank God. So, I mean, wow. I thought we were going to finally hone in on what happened at the very beginning with my dad character. But instead, I find this whole other new pseudo-dad character, who I don't think ultimately will like make the cut of my story. But he totally helps me understand my mom character. While I'm in one room coloring, my mom's in another room getting over a breakup of a guy who she thought might be my dad, might function as her partner. Like My mom didn't really date my whole life growing up. And um, I don't know, I'm starting to understand better why. But all of, as interesting as all of this is to me, um, discovering a new dad, uh, I really want to make sure I don't lose track of Rick, my dad character. How weird. So you had this man who was the father of your child who kind of disappeared after I was born. Rick didn't come back into my life until your second birthday. I really felt like God was urging me. So I went and took you like when you were about a year, a year and a half to your grandfather, Rick, Rick's dad, Fred. So I knocked on the door and I said, hello, Fred. And he goes, yeah. I said, I'm, I used to date your son, Rick. And my name is Carol. And I said, I understand that you're the second. His, his name was Claude Frederick Tears the second. I said, and I know Rick's the third. I said, would you like to meet the fourth? I said, but she's a girl. <laughs> and because and, by all means. So he walked <laughs> By out. all means, he that's what he said? Oh, yes. He talked very formal, like Grandpa, Grandpa Tears. By all means. And he walked over to the car, and I said, this is Danielle Nicole Kastner. Another great line from my mom. Would you like to meet the fourth? <laughs> he came and invited me in his place. And because Rick never told me about this. I said, well, this is Danielle. And, um, so Rick hadn't told his father that he had a ba- he had a baby. He didn't tell anyone. He felt ash- he felt ashamed that he had done something wrong. Not ashamed of you, but ashamed that he had done something wrong and he that he wasn't doing the right thing. I think. Mom, so you had this man who so so Rick so you told Rick that you were pregnant with me, mm-hmm. and he was, and he was involved, and then he wasn't involved. I can hear this in my voice. How much I I didn't know how to ask this question because this is the scene that I've wanted. The scene where she, my mom tells my dad that she's pregnant and then like dot, 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 right? Like I want to zoom in on his face in this scene and, and, and then he does what? I told him I was pregnant of you and he went, oh wow. And um, then he kind of, I don't know. I think we went out a couple times to eat. Um, 
And I don't remember everything. It's been a while. But he really was more of afraid than anything else. And she just doesn't remember. And like coming off the conversation that I had with Robert, there's this feeling of like, oh, your mom was a liar. My mom does have actually a truly awful memory. Uh, and 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 I don't push her. I should have pushed her, I guess. Like, wait, no, try to remember. Can you go back to that scene? I probably should have pushed her. Um, I'm listening to this and realizing how not good I am at asking the obvious questions. I just hate that I finally asked this question. I finally asked, have you shown this scene? And I, I think it still might be a mystery. <laughs> it's like finally opening the safe and finding that there's nothing inside. There's a note that says, like, there was stuff here. So sorry. If you'd asked earlier, I might have remembered, but now I <laughs> don't. And that all feels kind of wildly unfair. And so I met with him a couple of times, like, Rick, what are you going to do? I'm having this baby. And I realized he just was not going to be part of my life. And um, what I started to tell you after you were about two years old, and I sued him for back child support. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, I filed a paternity suit. So Rick, I think, was always afraid of me because whenever he saw me, I was suing him because he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't belly up to the bar. I thought there would be some door slam to explain when my dad exited the picture, like an, an ultimatum, a, a yes or no, he says no, exit dad stage right. Instead, he just kind of slips out of her story as she pivots to child support. I do try again, though, to hone in on, on how he exited the picture. And they also start eating the grapes. Sorry. Okay, so wait. Going back to you find out you're pregnant. You meet with Rick a couple times. He seems scared and weird and he doesn't commit to anything or he... Oh, initially we were going get, to get married when I first told him about it. That was his idea? I think it was, a, we both discussed it, and I think okay. we agreed. I don't know if it was my idea or his, but he dropped me off the, on the porch like a sack of potatoes. I can't even explain how I felt. I felt so like one day he dropped me off, and I said, I'm like, I'm not a sack of potatoes. I'm a human being, and I thought, it's not going to work. Um, so I wouldn't marry him. Mm -hmm. I kind of refused to marry him because I thought, no, God will provide somebody else, and I know if I, I'll have a wonderful dad for Danielle. So... Um, how did it feel then? You felt like... I was pretty alone. I felt really abandoned. Yeah. But I felt like I'm going to... I read every book on, on you know, I, I took every class I could at H-E-B Hospital, Hurst-Ulis Bedford Hospital. Characteristically, my mom, with all her moxie, throws herself into taking classes at the hospital, learning how to be the best possible pregnant lady she could be, and believing that a dad is right around the corner. Which led me to another painful question I didn't want to swallow. Well, I'm curious because you said you just knew, you said you prayed and you were like, I feel like God's going to bring, like, God will take care of us and someone else will be a wonderful dad mm -hmm. for Janielle. Well, then Brett stepped in. Did you think that was Brett? Um, I didn't know. I had hoped. I had hoped. I guess I had hopes that he would be, he would, um, be the right one. But how did it feel that that dad never came? How did it feel? I just felt like 
it's okay, God will take care of us. I'm moving on. How did it feel for you that the dad never came? Well, I never, I never had this idea that I would get a dad. Oh. You know, that was not, I'm thinking about you pregnant, like kind of hoping that the story will get better for you and this person will enter your life and kind of raise me with you. And you I never did, came. I, I really, I felt like I was equipped to do it. I, um, I felt like I didn't need it. All right, so this, let me just explain. I felt like I didn't need anyone. I could do this. I just like, you know, like I thought, I can do this. I can do this by myself. I just became a new Christian. I felt like God would help me. And I just felt like I didn't need anyone. Do you hear us registering any kind of loss in that? Like, what do you hear? No, I, I hear no loss registered. Like from either of us? Uh, not now. I hear you trying to ask her if there was loss. And what I hear her saying is, no. I hoped for a dad for Janielle. I believed that there would be a dad for Janielle. And there wasn't. And that's okay. And then I hear you. I don't hear you register a loss. Because I don't hear you having the same expectation as your mom. <laughs> My mom hoped for a happy ending. And when she didn't get the, get it, she found a way to make it a happy ending regardless? Yes. And I protected myself by not hoping for a happy ending. I think this is a good time to take a break and hear about some brands that are helping us pay to make this podcast happen. Capitalism is the prison from which we make art. Thank you for listening. So back to the conversation, back to the interview, uh, we talked some more about dating and how she closed herself off from men after the whole Brett thing. Like, what the fuck, Brett? Which made me start thinking about my mom, not as my mom, but as just like a woman in the world, which led to some other obvious questions. So, Did you ever feel really lonely? I think I would. Maybe, but I was just too busy to be lonely. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty stressed out. You had a lot to do. Did you ever... You don't have to answer this question. This is a very personal question. Were you ever just like horny? <laughs> At times. Yeah. yeah. Like, did you ever just want a man around? Did you ever just have romantic desire? I guess, but in a way I did. In a way I didn't because I'd be so tired at the end of the day. That was a brave question you just asked. I guess it is. I guess it was. Like somehow I can ask my mom like, Hey, what's your personal relationship to your own erotic desire when I was a child, which I am betting a lot of people have never talked to their moms about. But like, where is my dad? And can you break down for me why he's not my dad is somehow too hard to broach. That's nuts. As we start talking about men and partners, I notice another place where loss might be part of our story. I wish somebody could have been around to help take care of you. Well... That would have been nice. Yeah. I kind of had to take care of grandma and grandpa and stuff. I was always the caretaker. Yeah. But I think that 
I didn't really need to be. T- I it would have been nice, but I didn't need it. I didn't actually. Well, maybe I did need it. I didn't know, but I don't think I needed it. As I'm old, getting older now, I'm thinking it would be nice to have someone around, you know, to take care of me. Yeah. What do you think it means that after all of that not dating, and I was grown and out of the house, and you still didn't date, and you only started dating someone after Rick died? I don't know. That was the strangest thing, Danielle, because. I was at his funeral, or his, his memorial, well, what a celebration service, whatever they called it. And I just thought, I'm free. <laughs> there was a weight that was lifted off of me. I'm free now. So I don't know. I didn't feel like, realize that I felt encumbered by him, but I felt like now I'm free. I can have my own life. It's really interesting to me, like the same event can mean such radically different things in two different stories, right? Again, it's not the what, it's the how, the what. My dad dies. For my mom, it opens up this new experience of, like, freedom and closure. And for me, it ripped open a gaping hole I'm still trying to recover from. Like, it's making me realize that, like, my mom has a story. It's trending towards a happy ending. God has a plan and a purpose for her. All of this is meant to be. Like, my mom doesn't lack a story. So for her, this event was just the end of a long chapter. And now she can move on and get on with the story. But I'm at a loss, which led me to my biggest, most obvious question, which is why did we never talk about this? Do you remember me ever asking about why I didn't have a dad? Um, I don't recall right off the top of my head. I think I'd always say because you're very special and God is put getting is getting together a really wonderful man to be your daddy. Oh, he's that's, not ready yet. That's a weird promise to make to a kid. I don't remember. Do you remember what I would say? I remember asking you, "What do I say?" I was older, and people were just figuring out where babies come from, but it had not occurred to me that I only had a mommy and not a daddy. And babies come to mommies and daddies. The first time I ever had any sort of confusion, mm-hmm. I remember Elizabeth Culberson asked me, wait, but how can you don't have a daddy? How did you get here? I was like, that's a great question, Elizabeth. <laughs> and I was a little older than her. Then I was like, yeah, it's just like a thing. Like I like said something, but I was like, I don't know. I'm unclear about this. And I asked you, what do I say when people ask where my daddy is? And you said, uh, just tell them it's not your story to tell. I told you that? Yeah. Like it was your story as to where, where my daddy was, but it wasn't my story to tell. Oh. And, and to ask like, me? Nope, just, just tell them it's not your story to tell. Wow. And I was like, okay. And so I suppose I got kind of got the message that Wherever my dad was, it wasn't really my business. Really? Yeah. Which is sort of the whole premise of this art project, right? Is like, okay, well, let's assume it is my story to tell now. How am I going to tell it? It is your story to tell, absolutely. I didn't even realize I said that to you. Mom, you were probably in between, like, paying a bill and cooking a meal and whatever, and it probably just came out of your mouth. You probably said some really brilliant stuff that you read about in books about where where my daddy was or how how special I was and... How not having a dad didn't, you know, like you probably said some brilliant stuff. I don't remember any of it. I don't either. Do you know, like, that's all I remember is you telling me it isn't mm-hmm. your story to tell. That's it. Isn't that crazy? Wow. 
The delivery nurse said Danielle was very alert. That's me immediately turning the page and reading the delivery nurse's note on a little baby card. So if my two jobs were to ask the obvious questions and let the pain in, this is like a huge regression. Like falling flat on my face. I didn't know this when I was having the conversation, but listening to this, my mom has a realization. She has no idea that she told me that it wasn't my story to tell. And she also doesn't realize that we never talked about it. And before that realization can even sink in, I so quickly tap dance us over into what a great mom she is and how she probably did a great job. And I just don't remember it. And let's turn the page and read the next fun little card. I just, I'm so bad at this. I'm not good at this yet. If I'm going to be a protagonist who can like, actually look at it and let the pain in, I'm going to need to practice asking hard questions and not doing this. What do you hear in that? I hear that it is far easier for you to let the pain in for you than for you to let the pain in for your mom. (laughs) Yeah. But of course. Yeah. Yeah. Shortly after this interview with your mom, which was several years ago now, we went to my home studio to debrief, and you brought up a question that had actually come up in the Robert interview that you hadn't asked. That's the first big one. I chickened out of that one. The second one I didn't ask her was, um, why didn't she get an abortion? Just I've heard my mom talk about that so much, about how pro-life she was. Um, she described to me. This she's told me in detail. We never talked about what happened when she told my dad she was pregnant. But we did talk about this story, how she'd been talking to her roommate at the time who was, they were talking, debating like pro-life, pro-choice, whatever. And then um, her roommate's boyfriend said, are you telling me if you got pregnant today that you wouldn't consider um, aborting your baby? She says, no, absolutely not. And then she said she felt like that was God giving her a test. And then when, I guess when he heard her say that, he decided that, that she could be suddenly surprised pregnant. With me, I, it's, um, my mom really likes that story. So I didn't really feel the need to ask. I just know that she never, I guess the question I'm afraid to ask is, did my dad suggest it? Yeah. I mean, I assume he did. I don't know. Does it matter? <laughs> Does it matter to you? Oh, that's a better question, isn't it? Hmm. Does it make me a bad feminist to say a little? No. (laughs) You'd like to think that your existence, you know. I can, I'm reaching for something and I hope it's not a cop out. I hope it's not a, but you know. 
But, you know, I have one parent who wanted me the minute she knew I existed. And that's something. That's not nothing. I reserve the right to have a but you know for myself. <laughs> Even if I give my mom a hard time. What's important to me too when I hear you say that is that's not a lie. That's not somebody crafting a narrative to make you feel better. That's very true. No, that's true. That is something I know to be true about my mom, about mom character. So at this point of the interview, we are out of grapes, and um, we finished looking through the baby books, and I I thank my mom for her time, for letting me just jump in with a recording. Um, but then one more thing occurs to her. It's the, the miracle story that I alluded to Robert um, earlier. I, I mentioned it in passing in our interview, how my mom found the church after she was pregnant with me. And of all the things that we, we haven't talked about over the course of my childhood, this is, this is the story that she's told me a lot. Oh, I was really questioning when I was pregnant, like, why, how come, you know, like, and I was at church and I went up in this to, for prayer and this woman had this beautiful Jesus. It said Jesus in it was looked like diamonds. And I looked at her eyes. She was really tall. And I looked at her eyes and I think she was like an angel. I said, I have some questions. She goes, and even before I could tell her I was pregnant, she goes, you have to stop questioning. God chose you to be her mother, that she will have the gift of Daniel, and that God had a plan and purpose for your life. And he chose me to be your mother. And she said to stop questioning, mm. that it was it was like a blessing. God was blessing me, that he looked and, and looked all around and picked me to be your mom. Mm. I didn't even tell her this story, and she was just telling me all this stuff. I've heard that story a lot. That's one of the most important scenes for my mom. Listening back to all of this, I'm getting the sense that my mom thinks that she's told me all the important scenes because these are the important scenes to her, the miracle scenes where she passes the test and God gives me to her and she doubts and she finds her faith and she walks in and a maybe angel lady says that she was chosen. Like These are the important scenes and she can recall them with vivid detail. What matters less to her is, you know, what my dad looked like when she told him, when my dad wrote himself out of the picture, like all of that stuff about my dad, all that pain is like a, like an expository montage, you know, like the first five minutes of up, like, yep, yep, yep. Snip through all those images. Don't need to dwell on them. We get the point because the point of the story is this other thing that you were a miracle and that God gave you to me. That's a beautiful story. And I actually, I really don't believe in condescending other people's miracles. That's my mom's miracle. And that's hers. I couldn't take that miracle away from her, even if I tried. <laughs> that's not what this is about. I think what's wrong is that I just co-opted my mom's story. The story of being a miracle. 
I didn't figure out mine. I just inherited hers. And so I guess what this is, is me saying bye (laughs) to that story. The one where I'm the miracle, where I'm the happy ending. Like when you hear people talk about reclaiming a narrative, you know, I think of it as like a triumphant thing. But for me, like reclaiming the right to my own story, my own narrative is like saying bye to something where I was like this beautiful miracle and instead saying yes to a story where I might just be a sad little girl with regular pain because she didn't have a dad. It feels a little bit like a downgrade. (laughs) You know, that's not what I expected. But I'd rather not pretend. I'd rather have an honest story. I want to know my little regular story. I can still hear my mom tell hers. You know, I can hold on to that. I'm glad she has it, even if I don't anymore. Let's take another break. Thanks for listening. Before we finish up, there's a few things that I want to point out with this activation. The first being part of what you wanted to accomplish with this activation was asking your mom some hard questions. And I really think that you did that. I know that there were times when you wish you would have asked more or more clearly, but this was not a complete failure. You are practicing asking your mom these hard questions. I guess if we're grading on a curve, then yeah. If you adjust for inflation, yeah, it was a start. Adjust for the genetic family systems inflation. Yeah, yes. sure, sure. It was, <laughs> it was a start. It was a start. And in addition, the things you feel like you failed at, we can get your mom back in studio. We can ask her these things again. Yes, I know where she lives. We can bring my mom back in and I can get like a little better at asking hard questions. And she's demonstrated to me that she's not afraid to participate in this project, nor will this project break her. The next thing I want to point out to you is a moment where I think you really successfully pushed back in this interview with your mom. You are saying, this part's your story, this part's my story, in a really beautiful way. And it's the moment where you and your mom are talking about what the gift of Daniel is that the angel lady talked about. What do you think the the gift of Daniel is she was talking about? What's the gift of Daniel? Daniel was very wise. Um... I guess that's something for you to research. What is the gift of Daniel? And um, Daniel interpreted dreams of the king. Is this right? <gasps> no, I'm thinking of Joseph. You're thinking of Joseph. If Daniel did something to help the king in the very beginning, maybe we should look that up. Man, I'm conflating all my Old Testament dudes. 
Someone tricked the king into issuing Daniel to death? Yes, because, because oh, Daniel would, would pray. pray. He was a prayer Oh, warrior. Daniel's when he would pray. Yes. Okay. Let's just Google gift of Daniel. <sighs> the gift of prophecy? Oh, maybe you have a prophet. I have a prophetic gifting, so it seems like it would go to you. Here we go. I don't want to get saved today, Internet. I just want to know about this guy. Who was Daniel the prophet? They delivered themselves by their righteousness. I don't feel very righteous. Knowledge, skill, and understanding from God. God's given you knowledge, skill, and understanding. The number one way to influence people is through plays, movies. I don't think so. the number one way to influence people is through plays. No, it <laughs> Not is. Not that many movies. people go to plays anymore, Mom. Well, uh, Unless no. it's Hamilton. Movies, plays... Um, yeah. Movies, probably, yeah. Entertainment and writing. Books. And God's given you that gift. You think art is prophetic? It can be. What makes art prophetic? Well, you can write things. You can make it a, a story, a future, a futuristic event. Makes, it makes people think. Hmm. I just believe that God has you here for such a time as this, that I think your art is just the means, the vehicle. For what? Free to influence people. Back to God. Oh, this woman said her name is uh, another woman after you were born. She was like a secretary of the church. Uh, said, I see a halo over her. And she said, when you're, after you're born, she goes, she will lead thousands to the Lord. Is it enough if I give thousands of people... Is it enough, do you think, if I make thousands of people feel loved and a little more known? I guess so. Is that Whatever. enough? I think so. That's between you and God, but I don't if know. If those what... thousands of people never answer an altar call or never... You don't have to answer an altar call. You just have to really... I think you just have to accept Him as your Lord and Savior and ask Him you know, to come into your life. I know, but I'm saying if thousands of people experience my work and... And they just feel, for a moment, so loved, mm -hmm. just so known and loved, and 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 not alone. And like they're for a, for a moment, for an hour, they're surrounded by light. Is that enough? I think so. But they could be surrounded by light the rest of their life if they so choose. I love that moment. I love it so much. Because I see you trying to carve out space for your own narrative in the midst of the narrative that she has for you. Yeah, it's a mini standoff of narratives, isn't it? Can she hold her narrative where I'm a miracle? And can I hold space for my narrative where I am not a miracle that looks exactly like she was told I would? Yeah, inside that moment, I hear a question, which is, will you still love me if I'm a miracle that looks different than you were promised I would? And I think the answer in my mom's case is yes. And I'm proud of you, sweetheart, and I just, I love you, and I'm very proud of you, and I, I thank God that he chose me to be your mom, because <laughs> this has been my greatest destiny, not my career, it's not my teaching, it's just being your mom. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. You're welcome. I'm really glad you're my mom. Yeah. I'm glad God chose you to be my mom. Maybe my mom is right, and my art is supposed to save your eternal souls. 
But right now, I need my art to save my own soul. I need it in that put-your-own-oxygen-mask-on-first kind of way. Maybe that tug that I felt in that pit of grief, maybe that wasn't a capital-C call to a grand adventure. Maybe it was a much smaller call to notice where I was, that grief, and decide that it matters, to decide that my story matters, to decide that not knowing parts of yourself, it matters. To tell a story at all, to try to tell a story at all, is to first decide that it's worth telling. And maybe if I do this, if I try to do this, all the way, you'll listen and decide that your story is worth telling too. I just think we owe it to ourselves to try. I have decided to decide that my story is worthy. Let's figure out how along the way. Next time on Untitled Dad Project, Janielle learns how to embrace the soap opera world that she suddenly found herself in. Chapter two, genre. Say whatever you want to say. Like give yourself the freedom to say it all and leave no stone unturned. I didn't come to pay my respects. I came to get answers. Because I think that's a hallmark of the soap opera world too. It's like nothing is off limits or out of bounds and, and nothing is too ridiculous either. My life is crazy, I'm sitting in a room About to record a soap opera scene with a man I don't know We'll see you then. Untitled Dad Project is co-hosted by me, Janielle Jan Kastner, and Carson Kat McCain. If you're intrigued by this work at all, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us just a constellation of stars and write a review letting us know what's intriguing you so far. That input helps way more than you'd think. Like a lot. And we'd really love to hear about how the theme of inciting incident is relevant in your life. What are the events that have disrupted your stasis and how are you dealing with it? Let us know at Untitled Dad Project on social media or email us untitleddadproject at spokemedia.io. We think your story matters and we'd really love to hear it. 
Untitled Ad Project is a Spoke Media production. We're produced by Carson McCain with associate producer Kelly Kolf and our sweet baby intern, Lauren Floyd. Special thanks to my mom. I love you. Thank you for loving me no matter what. And I will get you some more grapes. If you want more of my mom's work, too bad. She's not famous. She's my mom. But if you know any born-again single dads in your network, slide into my DMs. This episode was mixed by Evan Arnett, and our head of post-production is Will Short. The music you heard at the end of today's episode was composed especially in response to this chapter by Rat Rios. She also wrote our theme song, Flora vs. Fauna. Check her out at Rat Rios on Instagram and Rat Rios on SoundCloud. And our executive producers are Aaliyah Tavakolian and Keith Reynolds. Thank you for listening to this. It means the world. <laughs>